Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joining us on the podcast once again is a returning champion here to our Crack Racket shows. Of course, you may know her best as a former national championship winning player from her time at Williams. You also may know her as a national championship winning coach there. Of course, now she's the head coach of the USC women's tennis team. Welcome back to the show, Coach Allison Swain. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Um, I would be impressed if anyone except my teammates remembers me as a national championship player. So that caught me off guard already. But thanks for that plug. Well, I mean, anyone who loses two NCAA tournament matches in a coaching career, certainly people are going to do more investigating. And when it comes, you know, player turn to coach at Williams, and obviously it's a lifelong career for you in college tennis. The first question I want to ask, what about this sport do you continue to gravitate towards? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a teacher at heart. I was a school teacher first, and um, people when I left school teaching asked me, wow, why'd you leave teaching to go to- coach tennis? And my answer was very simple, like, this is the best kind of teaching in the world for me. Uh, this age group, this team format for tennis, tennis is a team sport, more so than an individual sport, um, learning through the game itself. Uh, it's just 
it's what I'm meant to do. Did you realize going into it that X's and O's was only going to be like 20% of the job? That's the big, one of my big takeaways from this series is like, it's yeah. your, A, you're a CEO, you're managing the scholarships, you're managing the budgets, all these different things, but then it's marketing, all these different things. Like, I feel like coaching sometimes, the actual coaching of tennis gets drowned out by everything else. Yeah, I think, uh, I think because I played division three and my coach was really involved in our lives, I, I realized that it was much more, I realized the team sport aspect of it and the teamwork aspect of it and the stuff outside of tennis that helped build great competitors. But I don't think I realized till I got you to USC, the CEO aspect of it, because there's so many more parts of my job here. Um, you know, let's face it. Williams fans are very dedicated fans and they pay attention, but that's a small sample size compared to USC power five. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. I'm sure you're like, if I could go back to seventh grade algebra, just like one more time and just really hone in on my X variable and just, yeah, nail that because I'm sure it's a lot of math. And, you know, with all of that said, it's year five for you now at USC. And I believe every player on the roster is now someone you've recruited, you know, with that framework in mind. Obviously, I think if you're making shortlists, I would say you guys were the winner of the women's college tennis fall. Certainly a lot of things broke your way this fall. Um, you know, how are things, you know, as you enter year five? Yeah, I think, uh, I think you know, my learning curve has been great. Great, It's been steep, but it's been good in certain areas. In other areas, it's the same, you know, as what I was doing at Williams. Um, I'm really excited and really grateful. I think the fall to me, ironically, again, like one of the reasons I love college tennis is the team sport aspect of it. So I've, I have it, I've generally been way more focused on the spring. Um, but I think this is the most fun I've ever had in a fall, the most grateful I've ever been to have a fall. And I think we started to figure out some things on our side about planning our fall schedule for some of our players and, and that paid off. And then obviously they're the ones hitting the ball in the tennis court that, that made it all happen. Um, so super excited about what we were able to accomplish this fall and, and carrying that momentum into the spring. Yeah. And I want to talk about obviously some individual standout performers from the fall, but you look back to last season, 13 and 11 overall on paper, that doesn't sound, you know, like it was a drastic season, but your team managed to make the sweet 16 and showed that fight at the end of the year. Do you feel like you were able to capture that momentum, bring it into this fall? Yeah, I think they really felt what it was like to to compete with their whole heart out there as a team. Um, you know, <laughs> when they did the NCA selection show, we knew we were going to be sent somewhere. We're waiting to find out. We had our guesses. Florida was not one of them. <laughs> um, and the announcer probably did my team the biggest favor they could have done from the NCA because he said, all right, going to Florida, this team would walk if they had to. They'll be so excited to be in the tournament as USC. And... <laughs> My team was pissed. Uh, they that fired them up, and um, you know every team last year had hardships with COVID. Every single team did, and some teams had very consistent results through all that. So you know, huge props to them. We were not as consistent, um, and I think it. You know, LA has a lot of restrictions. Things were really challenging in some ways here for us, and so I think it also took us that long to really figure things out and and develop and come together and and reach our peak. So it was really fun to reach our peak in 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 Florida at the regional um 
and and go in there with some some fire uh and and play some great matches yeah and how about you know looking through the numbers for your team a lot of players obviously certainly played well and you know a 16 and 5 record for the team at two singles you feel like all right we might get that that's one point on the board but you know looking through last year's results you know I, I think you guys were only shut out once through the entire season and it felt like rather than knowing here's our way to four you guys found four points a bunch of different ways throughout the season do you guys feel that as well is that a burden or a blessing as a coach yeah, I mean, it's, you know, if I look at my Williams National Championship teams, I can point to each team and and be like, okay, these these couple spots, these couple players were a, pretty much a lock for us. That is always really nice to have. I think that's that can be important, but at the same time, you almost don't really want your players to think that way. You want your players to think, I've got an opportunity here and this point's my responsibility every single time. And, and that's how we got things done last season. Um, and, you know, this season, we obviously want to have a better season. And so I think we've got a little more depth. We've we've improved at the top of the lineup and uh, it will be, I mean, what a luxury. I'll love it if we, <laughs> you know, a couple of people emerge that are pretty much locks for us. But let's hope our team doesn't pay any attention to that. And, and everybody feels like they're going after their point, point and they're going to get it. Mm-hmm. How much of an emphasis was doubles this fall? Last year, you guys played nine different pairings. I, that's what I found out. That's about an average number. That's really not that many more. But, you know, is that a byproduct of you searching for things? And how much has that been emphasized this fall? Yeah, you know, it's it's always tricky for me in the fall because it's like, okay, you know, part of the fall for me is it is a little bit of a numbers game. Like for the top of the lineup, let's work on our ranking. You know, this is – I. I realized when we didn't have a fall last year, what a big deal it was to have fall results for the algorithm. So (laughs) hands down, part of the purpose of the fall is a individual ranking. If you're, if you're going to be near the top of the lineup. So the fall is really tricky in doubles because we want to land on some pairs, but we also need to be adaptable in the spring because um, you know, for me, one great pair aside from the year we had, a really good number one doubles team with Kulikov and Valdez. Mm -hmm. One great pair does not win a doubles point. So, you know, unless you're going to have the number one doubles team in the country, you need three very good teams. So we've got some pairs that work well together right now, but that we still need to find that three, that magical three teams that work really well. Do you emphasize serve and volley the way it was once perhaps impressed upon you? (laughs) I was a serve and volleyer. That's really, you know, that is... If I could not hit a ground stroke in doubles, that would be that was my goal in some ways. Um, you know, it really depends on the player, and it depends on the strength of their serve. Uh, much more important to me is how we anticipate and move at net, um, and how we use a player's strengths to pressure opponents. So, um, I kind of get super into the creative, funky doubles too, especially down at three. So, like you know, I try to dissuade my my uh players very quickly that two back is a defensive move um you know i we yeah i the funkier we can make the doubles when we're losing the more i love it that creativity is really fun for me the dave Schilling two on the ad side on the return and then one player's goes do so the other has a forehand in the center was just that's a stroke of brilliance yeah 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I think things like the I-form, yeah, I, I like that as well. And so I do think it's interesting because you do see a lot of serve and staying back now, and you can get it because if I could hit a forehand 100 miles per hour, I'd want to do that too. And so it mm-hmm. makes sense, but it's always interesting uh, to hear how you coach those things. Of course, again, looking at the fall, how can we not talk about Aaron Cayetano? And I just want to ask because I was on the call for that final against yeah. Daria Freeman. What a match that was. More of a heart attack or a victory for you in the end? <laughs> a victory for me in the end, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to wonder if I would be more nervous if I was in Aaron's position or my position because yeah. uh, that was a crazy third set. Um, I mean, it was a crazy first set. Yeah. I mean, you as a coach, you watch the first set, and I, you know, you know how good Daria Freeman is, and you know she's going to make an adjustment. But you watch the first set, and you're like, okay, this girl can't miss, like. <laughs> You know, this girl asked me where to serve on set point and she hits the serve there and it's an ace and like she's, you know, five two. So okay, like we're we're good. Um so but I knew it would get closer. It got a whole heck of a lot closer. Um the end was just like both Aaron and I thinking in our head, okay, let's let's get this done before we cramp more. And <laughs> yeah, no, I don't remember if it was end of the first set or end of the third set or somewhere in there, but there was a second serve ace she hit ad side down the tee. And I just remember being – and it, like, again, you're right. The first five games, Aaron wasn't missing a serve or a forehand. You're just like, this is – she's going to win. Like, okay, it's over. Um, mm-hmm. And to just see that – again, her her ability to find that zone at multiple times in the match, it was so impressive and obviously – you know, for her to earn a national title, uh, title. what does that say about her development? What growth did you see from her this fall that allows that sort of success? Yeah, well, I think, you know, um, with us only having a spring last year, a lot of people didn't, you know, she wasn't on a lot of people's radar and, and she wasn't as on a lot of people's radar always as a junior. And, but she, you know, if you watched her play in person, you knew she had potential um and so maybe she wasn't a safe safe bet as a recruit but you saw the potential there and um Aaron is a worker I mean she is a worker and she loves the game and so this has really been a two and a half three year progression for her um and she's always someone that's willing to put herself out there and play tournaments and play events and so what she did over the summer helped I think um fitness over the last year has been a big thing for her and then the biggest the biggest piece too is her just her mental development her awareness on court um she's got a lot of tools and sometimes i find players with a lot of tools like to do the most creative thing instead of uh the most high percentage thing um i was like damn i wish i had that in my repertoire (laughs) to even like experiment with but i know where that ball's going if i try to hit that drop shot from there it's it's going you know it's double bouncing before the net but you know whatever (laughs) Aaron's got a lot of tools and so she's really starting to figure out her style and how to use those tools on court yeah no I mean again she was excellent I thought she was moving forward so well also just again comfortable snapping off that first volley when you hit the forehand like you do you're gonna get those first volleys so that was fantastic to see I thought it was another really good fall for Selma you know by the end of last season it felt like Selma was as good as anyone in the country at that number one singles position I was there when you know she beats Anna Rogers uh in and you know plays such a good match and I thought she played a really good match against Stella and obviously fantastic record for her throughout the course of the season I mean obviously Aaron you win a national championship obviously that gets the headlines but I feel like Selma that that's got to be the fall you were looking for from her 
Yeah, I mean, 12 in the country is Soma's highest ranking ever. And I think it's huge kudos to her. And I don't want anyone playing, you know, like second fiddle on our team. And it's a big accomplishment. Um, And she's had her best fall that she's ever had. And I mean, she's only had three of them as a senior, but um, she wants to make a statement this year and she wants to help lead this team to be better. And she did that by establishing herself this fall and, and showing our younger players, like, this is, this is what you do in the fall. This is what the fall is for. You put yourself out there, you play, you compete hard. Um, so she had some really good wins this fall. I mean, last spring she was, you know, stand out for us at one. So it's exciting to see what this spring will hold with her actually having a fall to develop. Yeah. And obviously Aaron, Selma, Danielle, you know, college tennis fans, you in particular, obviously as well, know what you're getting from them throughout the course of the season. But I do think it's interesting when I look at your roster, again, a couple seniors, a junior, you know, but it, it's really a divide. There's a big freshman, redshirt freshman class, and then there's the senior group that's, you know, been through your tenure with you. How do you bridge that divide throughout the course of the fall? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have five returners, two of which were only here in the spring as sophomores. And then we have six new players, red shirts or whatever. So yeah, it feels, um, it feels like a veteran team from a leadership perspective, but the team also feels very new. Um, and actually I think the girls have done a lot of work bridging that divide. One of the things I love to do is help the team come together, get to know each other, spend time together. We do a lot of that stuff. Um, and the fall can be hard because we're going a lot of different directions, but the girls really kept that through line goal of, of working together, supporting one another and, and spending time together. I think, you know, at USC last spring, we couldn't have a meal together. We couldn't like you, you, you were in your dorm or you were at the tennis courts and that was it. And, uh, uh, these girls getting to spend time together, it's like a gift. So they're soaking that up and it's been fun. And, and I think our team's going to gel really well. Mm-hmm. How's the competition be? Because obviously, you know, at the top of the lineup, we know what we're getting from Aaron again, Selma, you figure, you know, Danielle works her way in there as well, but Again, it's a lot of competition, I imagine, because all all the people on your roster can play. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where Naomi's going to end up. If you look on paper, her record wasn't amazing last year, her freshman year, but uh, she's a heck of a player, and she was serving underhand for a good number of those matches. So um, I'm excited to see where where she fits in to help us, um, where Snow does, where Danny does, and then our true freshman um you know, all, all have an opportunity. So, you know, this January, I think you'll see a bunch of different looking lineups from us as, as people, you know, compete and get out there and play. Yeah. Let's geek out a little bit. You talk about the underhand serve. That had, <laughs> is that fascinating again, from a coaching perspective, because obviously that's injury driven and you never want a player to be in that position, but how do you coach that? Well, first of all, my volunteer assistant last spring was Megan Manassi, and yeah. I don't know how much tennis you were watching back when she was playing. One but of the greats. Let's talk about one Cal's of the finest. Most, most successful underhand servers when she had to do it. Uh, so basically I said, Megan, you're with Naomi. <laughs> let's let's make it happen as best we can. Yeah. Uh, so I just got to hand that one off. I mean, for me, I feel like that was like, 
really good delegating. I don't know what our <laughs> underhand serve would have looked like if from my point, my, if I had done it, but um, no, it's hard. It's hard when you're used to winning some free points off your serve and you're used to having like an aggressive serve plus one because the aggressive serve plus one really becomes yeah. <laughs> not an option anymore. So um, from a mental standpoint, I think it's really tough and there's a lot more running around that has to be done and things like that, which can be hard depending on what the injury is. Yeah. Um, I, I imagine the film room, it's just like, oh my God, like, what are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, got. And it, it's again, it's rare you get to nerd out, right? So maybe one of those rare times. It's a. I mean, it's probably not fun, but it's a yeah. little fun. Well, I will say the matches she came through and won with the underhand serve, and we had another girl that had to do it a couple of years ago. There is like no greater thrill than a match being super tight, a dual match being super tight, and you looking at that court where the girl's underhand serving and being like, "That's the one that's going to clinch it for us." And if that yeah. actually happens, kind of, you know, it's a little. It's a little more exciting. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And, <laughs> you know, I know obviously for you, and I meant to ask this earlier, but obviously you bring in uh, a new coach as well to the team this season. And, you know, I do want to ask, obviously, we'll talk about Elizabeth in a second, but if you knew it was going to come with Steve, would you have maybe made a different choice? Because, you know, just having <laughs> Steve Weissman linger around, never, that's just a burden. Yeah, yeah, well, uh <laughs> I don't know. Should I tell that story? Yeah. Know. Um, no, no, no. I'm kidding. Um, no, actually, what's funny is like midway through her interview process, I was at a, a charity event and Steve was there. And so we ended up talking a lot about USC tennis and yeah. all that stuff. And I was like, wait a minute, am I interviewing you now? Or are you interviewing me? Or meanwhile, I'm waiting for Elizabeth to get back to get the final interview done. So yeah. Um, no, but I mean, I don't want to talk about Steve. I want to talk about Elizabeth. Yeah, please. He's awesome. So, uh, you know, she came on in December and I mean, the girl's a worker. She has incredible playing experience. She's got great coaching experience. I feel like this is such a natural progression for her. And, um, you know, we're on day two of practice for the spring. So, you know, I, I can't say too much at this point, but she's already making a difference. And um, it's just, it's, it's going to be great for our team. Yeah. And I want to ask, and again, it's a new question at you, not one from a previous podcast, and I know listeners might get excited for that. When I look at the college coaching ranks right now, and certainly I've been exposed to this over the past two months, I just think there are so many talented coaches found across the country and so many with just in-depth playing experiences. And that seems to be you know, almost a requirement at this point to get into the college coaching ranks. How difficult was that coaching search? And for the young coaches out there, I don't want to say what are the things they can do to stand out, but, you know, again, what were the things you were looking for, I suppose, in your search? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think um, I approached the search a little differently than I had with my past assistants, and I think that's just a progression of me being in year five and and knowing a little bit more about where our program is now, where we're trying to get, where the girls, the goals of the girls are going. And I, I really wanted to bring in you know, when I was at Williams, first of all, my first five years, I never had an assistant. Mm -hmm. And then year six, I got to start sharing an assistant with the men's team, very part-time. So an assistant was someone young who you mentored, who helped out in ways that they could. So I finally, you know, in this search, I was like, I'm, I got to switch my brain. Like I want to bring somebody in here that's good and better at some things than I am. 
and who can add in some different areas and that we can work really well together. So, um, you know, I feel like Elizabeth checked those boxes and then, I mean, passion is so important to me, being willing to work, being excited to learn all aspects um, and be part of all aspects. And then, you know, there's, there's certain things like, you know, not everybody loves my personality, right? I love my personality, but, <laughs> I do too. Um, you know, there's, I've got, I've got very specific parts of my personality. And so for me to work well with somebody and then also have that person maybe be able to connect in a different way with our girls because of who they are as a person is also really important. So I feel like it's like tennis slash personality test slash recruiting slash all the other odds and ends we do <laughs> yeah. no i'm sure and again it's you're looking for someone who some of the non x's and O stuff you can pass off to i'm sure as well it's the basic skills of any job right be organized be on right. time those little things right. always incredibly valuable but no i appreciate you sharing your insights um and again i, I want to ask you about some big picture college tennis things but just to wrap yeah. up on your team uh, when you look at you know the the schedule you guys all have this year, obviously kickoff weekend, fun regional down in Baylor. I know it's you, Baylor, I believe, uh, Miami, and then a Kansas team that's not that far removed uh, from a Big Twelve title. Uh, obviously, you look beyond that as well. How nice was it for you to be able to schedule freely again? And what was your approach to this year? Yeah. Um... Well, I got to tell you, you know, we finished last year 27 in the country, which was, you know, it's that's deserved. That's an algorithm, right? We had we were 13 and 11. We took some losses, but we were top 16 in the country. So we had to think, you know, a little bit about kickoff, knowing wherever we went was going to be a challenge because we were a three seed there. But some teams we wanted to play um, opportunities we would have. And it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a fun one. I can't wait, you know, Um Scheduling. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I'm, I'm thinking about my 2023 schedule now. So I got to compare to this one. Uh, Is no, there a Michigan really trip? Not... Michigan trip 2023? Oh, wow. Um, that's not on the books yet, but you <laughs> okay. know, let's see. Let's see what happens. Uh, I would love to play Michigan. So. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll, um, I know some people. I'll put in yeah, some calls. I mean, there's so many schools I'd love to play. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, so scheduling this year. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just a big believer in like, come, come, Come NCAA time, come Pac-12 time, the, the tougher the schedule you play, the more prepared you are. Um, you know, sometimes that can be really difficult if you're not getting the wins, but long-term, big picture, that's what's going to make your players better. Um, so that's that's typically my approach to scheduling. You know, we love playing at home, but we want to get away a little bit too. And um, I, I do with, you know, you know, I'm sure LA is like incredibly strict when it comes to COVID. So my running joke right now is like, okay, our first two trips are like Texas and Oklahoma. <laughs> Meanwhile, like you can't walk through the USC campus, you know, like it's yeah. just you can't walk through the USC campus without a mask. So, um, you know, we're traveling a lot. Our, we're traveling our farthest trips in January and February. Um, and we're going to have to be gritty and tough for that. And then, of course, I can't wait to see what the fans are like at Oklahoma. You know, they are they love SC right now. So that, that should be <laughs> a more fiery tennis match than usual, I would expect. 
Yeah, no, I applied for the assistant job for you, but when I said you have to buy my two houses in Indianapolis, you said, I'm not going to do that for you. And so I was yeah. like, all right, fine. Um, but, you know, next time. Um, no, I, I love the scheduling, and, you know, I always am a fan, and I know on the men's side, Ohio State, Illinois, Michigan, they're all playing twice this year. You have always played UCLA twice, which is fun mm-hmm. as well. I've asked this to every coach. I'm curious your thoughts. You guys were 11 and 10 going into the tournament last year, and there wasn't a 500 rule, so you didn't have to worry about it. Yeah. Would you like that 500 rule to go away? Oh, yeah. I I, I don't, you know, from the seat I sit in, I want to play a tough schedule. I don't want to worry about whether we're going to be 500 or not. I want to, you know, and, and a tough schedule doesn't always mean power five. Mm-hmm. No, San Diego. Oh. I see that. I mean, we Pepperdine, would all these schools, yes. they're going to yes. get reps. Yes. Yeah. And so, so gone. I, yeah, it's something that I just would like to not think about. Mm-hmm. No, that's completely fair. And I am curious. You look at the Pac-12 this year, and I've gotten to talk to some of the coaches. You know, I think the Arizona oh, Arizona women obviously going to be very good this year. I mean, up and down the board in the Pac-12, and you know UCLA, Stanford, always going to be strong mm-hmm. as well. I've asked other coaches. I'm curious for you as well. Is the biggest difference in college tennis now the depth that teams 30, 40, 50 just are that good? Yes. And, and experience, you know, while we still have these fifth years, the experienced player that, that makes a big difference. It makes a big difference in doubles. I think, I think it makes a big difference in close matches. Um, I think it makes a big difference in injuries, frankly, too, um, that fifth year. And, and so I would say both the the depth and the experience having these fifth years, Mm-hmm. And with those fifth years in mind, when you're recruiting right now, and you know, again, uh, we talked about the composition of your roster. Uh, how are you balancing uh, knowing, you know, let's go get four-year players that we can work into our system, make them, you know, USC Trojans versus, you know, even on a team perhaps this year where you thought maybe I'm just one player away, I can go get one of those juniors, seniors out there who are proven commodities in college tennis. How do you balance those two things? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it, it part of it. I mean, honestly, part of it is timing, right? Like part of it is timing of when people are available. I think that's a big piece of it. Um, for me, I love developing players, but it does take time. I think that's a strength of our program, but it takes time. Um, and, you know, last year having summer and Claire in our team as, as fifth years was definitely a huge help. Um, for us down the stretch. Uh, so I think you got to look at all your options. I think, you know, what you guys say about the stigma changing is, is definitely true. Uh, I, I always have that question in the back of my head of like, why are you leaving? Why does the, you know, is it what's going on there? Um, but that's part of being a good recruiter is, is finding out who this person is outside of their tennis, because, Ultimately, that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get a fifth year who's super dedicated, super hungry, and a great leader, or you can get a fifth year that you know is is ready to be done. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that, and obviously, I don't think you're allowed to talk about them yet. But you've got a couple of great players lined up to bring in in 2022 as well. And I am curious because you sort of mentioned this earlier about just growing more comfortable in at USC. Is recruiting part of that? Like, you could recruit, I'm sure. You knew the type of player you were always going to recruit at Williams. You were that player. You knew what you were looking for. Going to USC, the SC on the hat, what obviously SC tennis means, was that one of the things that took some adjustment? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think I think first of all, when I took over the job, let's face it, like I wasn't watching the top 10 players in the country uh, when I was recruiting at Williams. So I I had to start with a whole new landscape and getting to know those players. And, and there's a lot of, and, and some of those coaches, and there's just a lot of information you don't have that you're catching up on. Um, so that was challenging in and of itself. But then I think one of the things I always think about um, in the way I recruit is I don't want the player that wants to come to SC. I want the player that wants to come be part of our program for what our program's about. Now, obviously there's huge, huge benefits and resources to being at SC, but yeah, you don't want the player that wants to be at SC because it's SC. You want the player that fits with your program. So that's the distinction. Sure. And with that in mind, the door is open. The pitch is ready to be made, Coach Swain. Why should I come be a Trojan moving (laughs) forward? Gosh, I mean, what's your work ethic like? I need to know a little bit more about <laughs> well, that. Well, I, mean, I like to think you're knocking I... out all these podcasts. That's what I was going to say. Hopefully, these yeah. podcasts show. I think I have yeah. the work ethic. I don't have the hips. I'll tell you right now. They just don't work <laughs> like they once did. Uh, but, you know, I'll make up for it in passionate enthusiasm. I mean, I actually, my big question to you is be like, how are you going to deal with that 20-hour rule? Because you're <laughs> obviously going over that. Oh, I'm a cheater through and through. <laughs> you're not cheating. You're not trying. No, I, yeah, it's tied. Yes. The answer is yes. I go over the 20 hour rule. If these podcasts show anyone anything. Yeah. Yeah. And so, no, but okay. With all that said, why am I headed to USC? Give me the pitch. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, totally. Sorry. I was. No, I appreciate it. I think I'm not selling myself well. Again, uh, you know, I think I've told this story before. It's really stupid. I mean, my mom will get a kick out of it. So that's really what this podcast is all about. Um, A buddy of mine set me up with a friend of his. This was back in my rambunctious days. Now I'm married to the game for all of you out there wondering. Um, But he was trying to, you know, talk me up and make me feel good about myself. And he was like, no, like, you know, and he starts to do all these things. He's like, well, you come from a great family. And he's like, and I was like, stop. I was like, wait. The first compliment you have of me is that I come from a great family. It's nothing about me. You just really like my family. That's where you're starting me. And, you know, from there it went downhill, obviously. Yeah, yeah obviously it didn't turn out well. Uh, so it's his fault. That said, I've now poorly pitched myself. Give me the pitch for SC. Yeah. Well, I can't I can't give you everything because, okay. you know, I like it. we're on a podcast. But um, for me – I like to talk a little bit about what USC has to offer, but at the end of the day, when you come visit SC, when you come here, there's tons of glitz and glamor. And sometimes when you go on a visit, that's what the coach is going to show you. That's what the school is going to show you. They're going to talk about all those things. When you come to us, you're going to see what we do day in and day out, because you've got to realize that this is the system that's going to work for you. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, outside of the football games and all the fanfare and being in LA and the palm trees and the facilities, you're going to have every resource you want to be excellent. And that's going to be pretty unmatched. Um, You know, we love to talk about our Olympians here. We love to talk about the experience of our support staff. You know, we offer our girls basically the resources of a top 50 WTA player for four years. And if you Whether your goal is to win a national championship, go pro, get a great education and play at the top of college tennis, you're going to be able to accomplish those things and have the resources to do it. And then it's kind of on what you want to do with it. 
But from my standpoint, you have to be, want to be part of the team because the best part of college tennis to me is that you get to be on a team for four years. And I believe that's going to make you a better player and a person. And that's how we operate. So it's not about what number you play when we get to the spring. It's not about any of those things. It's about what we're going to accomplish together in those goals. Yeah, no, I love to hear it. And I will, I did Iowa State yesterday, a couple days ago, who knows at this point. But <laughs> I had red and yellow in my – has. this is not the first exposure to it. I like the colors. I mean, the, the colors work. Again, it's a little different. You get a lot of blues. You get all of those things. Yeah. There's the distinct SC – I think that works as well and so you know just throwing that that's my two cents uh into well, thank the you. yeah I, exactly I appreciate if, if you weren't that. sold before um yeah that'll that'll do it um yeah but- i don't usually incorporate the cardinal gold into my first pitch that's not one of my main points but I'll it, keep does, that in mind. it doesn't make the powerpoint slide it's like yeah. not slide six yeah, no, it's not. I mean, sometimes I think that, that we're Nike sponsored should be slide one for some people. But again, <laughs> I like to pitch what I'm focused on, not not what they're focused on. No. There's as much weeding in as weeding out here. It's in the addendum. It's like Cardinal Gold, yeah. Nike, yeah. also. Yeah, don't forget. Also. Yeah. yeah. I like and, pa- and palm trees. Yeah, exactly. No, that's good. Yeah, that's... It works for sure. Um, all right. Well, with all of that said, again, I want to talk about your pick your brain about some big picture things. And you talked about the team aspect being the most exp- exciting part of college tennis. I agree with you. I think sometimes that leads to I don't want to say disinterest in the fall, but also confusion for college tennis fans in the fall because hey, it's very individual. The fall national championship happens like three weeks after the All American. It's like then we just play this. We're doing it again. What are your thoughts on the college fall? Should we, you know, I talked to the SEC coaches. They say the hidden duels were everything. Should we just mm-hmm. try and make it all as much team as possible? What do you think about the individual aspect? Was it you or John that hates the hidden duels? Uh, it's everyone. I don't know anyone oh, who, who, okay. who, who – Well, I love hidden duels as a format. It's just like can we watch them? Don't Like I know there are schools playing hidden duels this weekend. I'm ready for college tennis to start. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, – I think from a fan perspective – even from my administrator perspective, like tennis is pretty confusing. Right. And even to my girls, because I'm like, you're coming here to play a team sport. Here we go. And it's like, but wait, wait, first you're going to play a fall. That's still individual. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to get an individual (laughs) ranking. And then we're going to make it a team sport, but you're still going to have that individual ranking that you care about. It's super confusing. I mean, come on. So, um, you know, right now, the way the fall is set up, our fall is player development exposing our new players to what a dual match is like, thus the hidden duels mixed in um, and national ranking individuals individually. So those are, those are that the way the fall is set up now, that's how I look at it. I think there could be a much clearer trajectory. I think it would be really interesting to say, okay, fall is individual and here's an individual championship that's really a championship and this is what it's about and we got players aspiring to play pro tennis or have played junior tournaments that are like this their whole life so we're going to keep with that and that's what the fall's about and then the spring changes or i don't know i hadn't really thought about just all hidden duels and screw the individual stuff but i guess that's the other way uh but i think we could make it a much less confusing fan experience and and that would be great yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. That's why I've been bringing it up. I just, again, it doesn't feel like the most efficient way to do it. 
Uh, there are a couple things I want to follow up there. I want to start with the ranking component. I brought it up with other coaches, but a 12-month ranking system, a ranking system that incorporates UTRs and pro results as well. Do you want the rankings to be most accurate, I suppose, or do you want them to be a reflection of you know the college tennis results? Because you know, case in point, if it was a 12-month ranking system, I love what Aaron did this fall. Emma Navarro is still number one. Look at what she did at the pro circuit. Look at what she did in college last year. She probably is still the number one player. Aaron deserves to be that. She was the best player this fall. The rankings say it. The results say it. So, you know, I'm curious where you are with the ranking system because and how much, you know, value you put into these December ones. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we're going to celebrate the hell out of it. We got, you know, <laughs> sure. Aaron's number one. So, like, we love the rankings right now. No, I'm kidding. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, deservedly so. No, there's there's issues with the rankings. There's always going to be issues with the rankings. Um, I, I, 100% see your point if we're going to use the pro schedule and stuff like that. But I think there is also some value, and I haven't thought a lot about this. I'm just going to, but I, I tell you, I'm happy to share opinions. So I'm just going like to tell that. you what I think. And then if I'm, if I'm, if I, di- if I disagree with myself a couple months later, oh, well, this is recorded. But no, people think um, I do preparation. It's all stream of consciousness, I promise. Yeah. Um, I think players who choose to play college events in the fall deserve to be rewarded for that. Mm-hmm. And because they're making a commitment to represent their school and, and there's something to be said for that. They are all on scholarship still. I mean, I, t- I've taken players to pro events. I will continue to take players to pro events, but at the same time, there is something to be said to say, Hey, this is important to me. I value this college tennis piece right now because it's the right thing for my development or my team. And I'm representing my school. Mm-hmm. Do you, is it beneficial though? I mean, obviously you're fine with players going to play pro events if that's the mm-hmm. schedule they want to uh, tie in. Are the, you know, again, in preparing for the January and spring season itself, are the hidden duels more valuable or is the individual development more valuable to getting your team prepared for January? Yeah. Well, I think consistent competition is a huge part of okay, player sure. development um, philosophically. So I think you need both. I, I think the hidden duels are, are really fun. Our girls really enjoy them because I tend to recruit players that really want that team component. I think it's super helpful for our freshmen who haven't been in dual matches. It's such a different experience um, for them. I think getting that down, learning how to cheer for your teammates, support each other, like that seems really simple after you've played college tennis. But if you haven't been in that environment before, that's something, that's something different um, to have to feel that um that support that connection and also maybe the weight of like hey my my teammates aren't doing well in their matches right now how can i step up how does that momentum shift maybe change things or my teammates are really doing well i'm not i need to step it up that that kind of um pressure and camaraderie you can be a deer in headlights in january if you haven't felt that before yeah no i have I completely agree, and that is why I think so many people have started to play more hidden duels in the fall. It's just very valuable to get that aspect as well. I'm going to bring back something from our earlier episodes. Josh Goffey hypothesized a flipping of the calendar. Fall is for the team, and spring is for the individuals. And, you know, he brought up the fact that as a second semester senior, if you're not going to play pro tennis, you can also skip that second semester and be a normal student. And that was something that resonated with me, and it's why it's stuck on these shows What's best for the development? I mean, again, in terms of you want, I know development is something you stress. Is the college tennis schedule as currently comprised best for the development? 
Yeah, that's interesting uh, with the free spring situation. I mean, I just think fall's a shorter season. Sure. Like, you know, like with Thanksgiving in there and all that stuff, fall is a shorter season and I'm a tennis coach, so I want a longer season. So I like sorry, that. I want spring. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, it's fair. I mean, it's again, uh, more than anything else, I think college tennis fans just are enjoying the competition. And so with that in mind, let's talk about, you know, how do we grow the game moving forward? And this has been a recurring question, but I do think this is the question We've gone from two out of three sets in doubles and doubles second to now doubles first and into a pro set and into one set, no ad scoring. And we've gone from ad to no ad scoring. That said, anyone who watched the NCAA tournament last year, particularly Pepperdine's run, UCLA was the best match until North Carolina was the best match, until that Texas match is as good as it gets. The product right now is exceptional. That said, to grow the game moving forward, is it about changing the product or is it about marketing the sport better? I mean, in simple terms, I think being on TV is hugely important. And from a women's sports side, look at softball, look at beach volleyball. Being on TV makes a difference. So does the marketing come first? Does the TV come first? I'm not sure. They both need to kind of come together. Um, You know, time always comes up in this discussion uh, because, you know, those matches were incredible. I could have watched those matches on repeat, um, but... I'm, I'm also a tennis coach, you know, I don't know. Like if you, if you watch softball once a year for the NCAA tournament on TV, do you watch tennis one, you know, a three hour tennis match once a year on TV? Um, I think that's the question in, in some respects. And, uh, but I think doubles is incredibly exciting. I think the set is incredibly exciting. Um, I think no ad is incredibly exciting. I actually think it makes our players better playing no ad so i don't know do we play a third set i say yes 10 point breaker in the big match is not enough for me i think and i know i've explored this on other on other episodes i do think simultaneous start it's gonna happen in the next 10 15 years because everything at once it's not going over two and a half. It's not going yes. over three. It's the fact that it's two, dis- you know, a good doubles point, which is exceptional, but it's 45 minutes of your time. Like your allocated time is gone in terms of just attentiveness from fans, unfortunately. And so that to me is what I always keep coming back to it is like that is the the only feasible way you can keep some sort of facsimile of what we have now and not compromise on the time. Yeah, you certainly eliminate the time distinction with simultaneous start. Now, in your ideal simultaneous start, I mean, I know this is like you're supposed to ask me questions, but I'm going to ask you questions. No, I like this better. Um, Five chords, six chords, like how does it work? Is everything two out of three? Tell me your dream. So everything is two out of three. I would agree. Why not play a full two out of three doubles if you have more time to do it? I also incorporate substitutions to where once the doubles players are done, if they want to go head into a singles match, and that's how a coach wants to do it, let's do it. Four singles, one doubles makes the most sense because it's still six people, and it's just like if everything's worth one, we got five points, that works. I mean, I don't know if you could do four singles and two doubles because that's just a lot of kids. I think three singles and two doubles you could do, but do we really want that? Like... I don't know, probably singles development still more valuable, big picture. So I say 4-1 is what I've settled on with substitutions to make things fun because I still think that everyone gets their fix. Like, it's a little bit of everything. Yeah, I definitely think two out of three for the doubles. Yeah, you have to at that point. Yeah, 
and and, and then it's too confusing oh that's an eight game pro set or that's, exactly. you know, or they play a match breaker and, but they don't, you know, mm-hmm. so um, it's interesting. I think it's an interesting, interesting to think about the dynamics you manage on your team with deciding who plays doubles, who plays singles, who's, you know, and, and also like, I mean, obviously there's all kinds of strategy that goes into lineups now. So then the coaching strategy, the coaching brain puzzle switches to like, do I develop this person in doubles? She's so good at like, does Angela Kulikov only play doubles for us? You know, and then she doesn't get the singles development and how does that go over? Or do we say, okay, Ange, like you're going to play singles this match and we'll put what would have been our two team and see what happens. And yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's just a different puzzle, a different way of thinking. Coaches usually like to, they like to kind of figure out the puzzle and how they like it to work. So we all have figured out our ways of making it work now. So you're causing a huge brain shift for yeah. all the coaches, head coaches out there of how they puzzle things together. But it's, it's fun to think about. Yeah. I, you know, I know doubles used to be played last and they've switched away from it. And I talked about this with Bruce Burke. He's like, we've been there. We've done that. The doubles point is so exciting though. And like, that is the biggest bummer is that it somehow makes the start of first sets less valuable. Hey, coach Dancer suggested a world team tennis model. And I recently played in the league match again. It's got to be all about me, coach. I recently played in the <laughs> league match um, and it, it was an hour and a half and you just played as many games as humanly possible. And obviously everything counted. Mm-hmm. If time is the issue, is that the other option where it doesn't compromise everything, where there's no lull post doubles point where we just say, hey, every game matters. First hour is single uh, is doubles or whatever. Second hour and a half is singles, and we're just it's a race against the clock. And you know we're gonna trust line judges. There's gonna be no stalling. We're not doing that because you no know more that's medical a, timeouts, point yeah, penalties, game it, penalties, it, full game if you take a medical. I think you probably have to that, but but it's like is that it does that compromise development? You're making every game that much more valuable. It's like do the gimmicks compromise the developmental aspect? Yeah, I mean. First of all, I think the more we're aligned with like pro tenant, the grand slam, like the better. So, but I see your point. I get it. And, um, you know, I've heard the suggestion of double second to like, that's the ultimate. And then there is this build because the first sets of singles until it's like four all really aren't that interesting. You know, I, you know, I get that as coaches, it's interesting to us because we're figuring out the strategy, but whatever. Um, so I totally see that. It's like, you need a, you need tea. We need to be yeah. in England where you leave the court at Wimbledon and go have tea after yeah. the doubles and then come back for the second set. That's what we need. Um, so I see your point of making it all exciting. Um, the other crazy thing to do is play a set of doubles and a set of singles or something way out there like that. I'm not a proponent of that, but that would be exciting. That would be exciting. That would be chaos. No, yeah, I mean, no. you probably have to go back to add at that point because, yeah, yeah at that point, it's no, just, no. yeah. The one, I'm not, oh, this man. is not, let's just be clear. This is not what I want to have yeah, happen. This, yeah, okay, good, good, good. I like no. that. No, it is, it is interesting. And you talk about the alignment with pro tennis. I don't want to, this isn't the ITA's like it's not just like the ITA didn't get this right but I'm just curious why is college tennis in your opinion not better aligned with the pro with the pro game is it a pro game issue is it a college issue because I think to a T every coach would say and you know we had the experience with the Oracle Challenger series and how great that was and players getting wild cards and pro opportunities and UTRs trying to replicate something somewhat similar but how valuable would that piece be why hasn't it happened 
yeah you know uh we need someone that's not my quite well yeah i'm not going to be great at answering that question but i mean i'm a huge fan of college tennis and pro tennis but like these players like there are great players super fun players to watch i mean just really exciting things happen so do i want to see more support for more wild cards more crossover of pro tennis to college tennis absolutely one of the things that i thought was cool that the ita did on a different level a couple years ago was have more spots in fall nationals for the ita cup players Mm -hmm. and we saw justine Leong from CMS win win a round or two there. I can't remember how many. She was D3 at the time. Now she's at Northwestern. Um, I think you can take that analogy and say we need more of that. And um, there's a lot of college players in the pro tour now. So I don't have an answer for why, but I think coaches are trying to create that. Mm-hmm. They're taking players to pro events. Yeah. And they're players, having they're, pro events. Are, yeah, and players are opting out of college events to do it or doing a mix of those things. So if if it's not going to happen from the ITF level or the ITA level, coaches are going to find ways to make it happen that mean they're playing less college tennis. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. And yeah, I, I, I appreciate your candidness with that answer. I don't think any one person could even answer that question because there are so many different entities, right? Mm-hmm. Just in, in tennis, whether it's the federations and the, the actual people hosting the tournaments, all of these different things. With that said, you know, again, you, you referenced this earlier. I know Williams Tennis, you know, people around campus, around the community buy into it. And I know you guys were able to have strong showing there. And obviously, USC, there's an inherent built-in set of people who are going to be interested in USC tennis by virtue of it being that. But how did you go about, you know, at Williams and now here at SC, building that community that's vested in your players that they feel like they are playing for people? There are people who are interested in what they're doing. And what advice would you give to coaches out there in in going about doing that? So let's be clear, the population of Williamstown, which <laughs> is where Williams is, is very small. So sure. growing the interest in the community, I mean, first of all, we were successful, but literally like the girls could walk up and say hi to whoever was watching. You know, they knew they were on a first name basis with anyone watching our home matches. So let's just sure. be clear. And then you walk down the one street in town and you're saying hi to <laughs> everybody, you know, so everybody knew everybody there. So that was great. But we had, you know, we did have people fly out to watch nationals and, and things like that. And that was really cool. And I think, um, I think once the girls on our team engage with some of the fans um, and, and take some time to make them feel welcome, appreciate them. And then they get that back and they see that and they get these, you know, they find out that these people are coming back consistently, that they're watching them online, that they're cheering for them, they're following the results, they're commenting on their social media. Um, So we didn't have fans in the stands the whole season last year. I think that's one of the things that we're going to be excited about this season is just welcoming them back. And we're already got some things in store to do that. Um, So I think it's going to be one of those things like the fall was never that exciting to me. And then I loved it this year. And I think our girls are going to be like, Oh my God, these people that, you know, yeah, let's get after it. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's gotta be exciting for everyone to have fans back in the stands once again. And, uh, yeah, again, I think 
college tennis is as enticing as it's ever been. And I know what every coach says, once you get people there, they do come back. And, you know, so that's the key is just getting as many people to show up as they can. You think NIL might be a mechanism to help do that? I mean, certainly it helps yeah. when you have people vested in you inherently with money, but is that going to be helpful for schools? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, I mean, USC is super supportive of, of NIL for our players and, and, helping them, you know, finding ways for them to do that and support them doing that. And so I think, I think a lot of that is going to come from the players interaction with NIL and what they want to make of it. So I think the two can interact super, super nicely. Mm -hmm. Is that something you guys have started factoring into things like recruiting? Uh, it doesn't get asked a whole lot yet. Um, but it is a factor. I, you know, I've heard you guys talk about like on the podcast, this is a great thing for like true college towns. Mm -hmm. From my perspective, it's like, I agree with you, but I also think being in LA is like awesome. Sure. Yeah. You know, the tennis player might not be the biggest athlete name amid our professional sports and our college sports, but at the same time, like so many of our girls are engaged in, you know, on the academic side in in media and marketing and that's like LA's you know LA is just a hub for that so I think there's some really good opportunities here um both while they're in college and then that would carry on after college too and some of our pro players from that are Trojans I think do it really well obviously they've been sponsored for a long time now after college and um so our girls see that too mm -hmm. final piece of this would be should the NCAA champ get a wild card regardless of nationality help promote the sport again? If the USTA is going to be invested in college tennis the way they are, shouldn't that be a given? Absolutely. And this is this is my and. Okay. If the NCAA champion is not American, then there should be a wild card minimum into qualifying for the highest finishing American. Yes. I like I, it's it's just great that some of you are like, all right, no wild card. It's like, yeah, we just decided unanimously. And it's, yeah, it's very, very silly. I also think, and I've said this on other pods, like, shouldn't the top five college players get world team tennis contracts? Isn't that low-hanging fruit there? Oh, my Why God, that would be you? amazing. I know. Yeah. I was, uh, I was like, you know, I was advocating for one of our players <clears throat> recently, and I was like, you want this girl. Like, she's flashy. <laughs> she's entertaining. She's talented. Like, Put her out there. Like, There's also something, too, if you've ever watched Stevie or any of these players with college ties play world team tennis, they just get how to play a team yes. match better. Yes. And you can't yeah. fake that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so I'm in. Would you like to see more D1 versus non-Division One competition? Like you talked about the ITA Cup. Is there a better way to inc incorporate all three levels into the sport? Uh, I uh, think four levels, uh, you know, I think, not just yeah, I think a really low hanging fruit way to do that is just say, hey, D1 school, if you play, you know, if you play outside division, you can have three dates to do that that don't count. But it's not going to happen with date restrictions. So if that would be the so if you had three additional non 25 dates and it's just like, here's go play your hidden duels, go get the competition. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. Makes sense. You know what? I mean, maybe next week. I mean, we're in season. Maybe, maybe next week. You know, a school comes over and we play a dual match against them. Like we play a dual match against a D three school. Like why not? Like we need reps. We need to compete. Yeah, like, go play Pomona but, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I can't. You know, yeah, our calendar's yeah. full. Like I and and the rank. You know, you got to consider the ranking and all that that stuff and the strength of schedule and all those things that go into it. So. Um, I think, 
not every coach would take advantage of it, but coaches would take advantage if that was out there, but that's, that's an NCA rule that the ITA would have to advocate for, but um, that's the way to do it. And gosh, I mean, if we played Pomona and they came over to play in our stadium, how many Pomona fans would come to see that? All of that. Yeah, I agree. I'm in favor of it. Hopefully we can find a way to do more of it this year. Um, All right. Again, some fun questions for you down the home stretch. You can recoach any match from your career. What do you pick? Like recoach to change it or recoach to relive it? Either whichever one you prefer. Oftentimes coaches go with a loss. I, I actually don't think I've had a coach say, I would like to relive this win. Like oh so my far, God. it's like, yeah. Okay, so I have eight that I would like to relive. <laughs> Thank sure. you. Yeah. yeah. Um, as a coach, like, uh, yeah, I would like to relive all eight of those matches. Sure. And Makes I, sometimes, sense. I sometimes drew in my mind. Um, That's good. More so than the player moment. What If you could relive the playing moment of that win or the coaching moment? No, the not the player moment. I mean, the player moment was great and it was fun. Yeah. But when I won my first national championship, I remember saying to someone like, this is as a coach, this is so much better because yeah. I'm so proud of what these girls came together to do because it sure. took every single one of them. And, you know, as a player, I went out, I love my teammates. I did my job. They did their jobs. We won a national championship. It was amazing. I would probably say that was the best feeling ever if I had not then gone on to win national sure. championships as a coach, but um, no, I would relive them as a coach. Um, actually, God, I mean, I'd like to forget the losses. Are you kidding? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't well on those. Like, let's get rid of those. No. Uh, okay, I got one for you. Okay. Amherst, it, 2006. Uh, I was not coaching or playing then. Yeah, okay. Good you try. Know, Good try. Yeah, um, yeah. No, uh, USC, 2019, okay. Stanford at home, regular season. We lost 3-4 in a third set tiebreaker at three singles. And I want that match back. Yeah, that's a fair answer. It's a good answer. I like it. Um, all right. Of, of the eight championship teams, which was the best? Uh, okay, hold on. I got to think through my years here. Least talented that we ever won with was our sixth in a row. Okay. That one was the steal? Yeah. Amazing, ugly doubles to get it done. <laughs> it was so fun. They were so tough. I left that match afterwards and I said, somebody not only has to be better than us to beat us, they have to be better than us at every single position if they're going to beat us. And that's what happened. And that's what it took. And that was such a cool feeling to have this program that could do that. Um, It was awesome. You know, that was really cool to be like, no, 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 you have to be actually significantly better than us at all six spots. Um, And then let's see. I can't remember what year this was now because I'm old, but I think it was our it was our fourth in a row. So my fourth year, uh, that was the team that was like the most. Um, I think just like top to bottom. I mean, our depth was ridiculous, and we just you know we we had close matches there, but that was probably the most talented team. Yeah. No, I mean, but each team had something. Like if it was like the grittiness, the talent, I cut you off. I don't care. Cause I <laughs> no, it's fair. Uh, they all had something. They all had this, a quality, a different, a slightly different quality that got it done. And it wasn't mm-hmm. always just the tennis. I think, you know, we had one team that was hands down just better, but. Well, I was going to say because undefeated in 15, right? 
Yeah, that team was good. Mm -hmm. But that team was crazy. You know, we, (laughs) because people don't pay attention to D3. Yeah, that's what I want to ask. But but, so um, in 2015, our number one player didn't travel to the final site, to the final eight. She was the national senior player of the year and she didn't travel to the final site and a freshman played one and a girl that had not played all year played six and we were undefeated that year. (laughs) It's crazy. Is that crazy? So that's not number one team. That's not the, that's what I'm saying. No, they were great. I mean, they were amazing. They were really good, Mm -hmm. but we played without our number one. And uh, there were all kinds of lineup challenges to our number one doubles team. Mm -hmm. And the committee went out there and watched them in the first match. And they came back and they said, well, I couldn't tell like, cause they, they weren't tennis coaches. So they were like, I didn't know who the number one player was that was still the part of that team. And the other girl was, so we're good. Um, that was lucky, but, um, no, that was crazy. That was great. And that team was just so goddamn pissed off when they got there that they were like, no way are we losing this without (laughs) our number one player. We are winning. Uh, so everything kind of came together for them, but no, they were really good actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They would, I don't know who would win that that fourth year team or that 2015 team. Yeah, no, they're all pretty good. And then obviously, that's, that's a gr- I'm so glad you brought that up. I forgot I had an undefeated season. Yeah, it's just it's a nice little thing. Yeah, right. It's a nice little kick up. That was the only undefeated one, right? I want to say in the time it that was is just the only undefeated one. Amherst probably beat us more than we beat them during my tenure there. Sure. We won. This is another fun fact. We won more national championships than conference championships. <laughs> so, like. To all coaches out there, if you lose in the conference championship, like, come on, that's fuel for the fire. Just go. You're ready. That's So like, what you're telling me is you threw those matches. You threw them. Definitely not. Definitely <laughs> not. It crushed us, but uh, it crushed us. Like, there were girls I had to, like, peel off the floor. Like, come on, we're, we're, we're okay. But in the end, you look back and you're like, okay, that, that got us 5% better, 5% mm-hmm. more ready. When you're watching, you know, or again, when you're going through those sorts of seasons, one, two, three, four, five, six, what is, is there a fatigue that sets in? I'm always curious because when I look, I mean, like you talk to the USC teams at the end of their four peat for the men, they're just, you know, gassed. It's just, you put so much into those seasons. I feel like, again, 14 losing sucked, I'm sure, but it must've been like for 15, it fuels the fire. Yeah. It fuels the fire. I mean, I figured out when we lost in 14 that our freshmen on the team were in middle school. You know what that means? That means they don't even know what Williams College is. They don't even know Williams College exists if they're in middle school uh, because it's not USC, right? So so they were carrying this torch, but they were in middle school when it started, you know, and I, I, I didn't know how fatigued we were until that streak ended. And my biggest concern was like the girls, cause they're going to be really upset cause they feel like they let this whole legacy down more. So the alums that played and won those, that was my biggest concern. And then my fear was, oh man, we're going to get like, we're going to play a match. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. Well, that's the quack. I wasn't going to swear. First um, quack. There it is. <laughs> we're going to play a match. I'm going to yeah. say it again. Sorry. Um, and that was my biggest fear. And we didn't. We absolutely left everything we had on that court. It's one of my favorite matches I ever coached. Um, it's probably the only loss I can ever say is one of my favorite matches that we have I ever coached. And so we lost in like a magnificent, beautiful way, yeah. I guess. 
Oh, you'll take it, I'm sure. Yeah. And again, it leads to 15, it leads to yeah, 17, so, which I'm sure yeah. you hold dearly in your heart. I guess last question, well, last two questions for you. I This is, uh, again, we're back to me. So, so we've come That's forward. fine. I'm good, good. <laughs> yeah, go. no, look, I really, we were, I was fortunate to be on some really good teams. You know, we win in high school, and I say the hubris from the Club Tennis National Championship has me having the confidence to do what I do now. Um I, it's very fun to win. I really hate losing so much. And mm-hmm. I can only imagine the first – is that the most frustrating part, first four years? Not that you didn't have good teams. Again, a couple of sweet 16s at USC. Yeah. But you go from losing fewer than 20 times in 10, you know, in 10 years to you, you know, more than 20 times in four years. Is that yeah. the biggest shock for you? I don't know if it was a shock is the right word, but like how to manage it for yeah. sure. Um, definitely how to manage it and, and how to manage it with the players, because, you know, a lot at Williams is like our players built confidence at winning all these matches, winning individually, everything. I mean, you talk about like having locks of players that have like a 16 and three record. I mean, like, let's talk about the whole lineup pretty much, you know, and if they didn't have that, they moved on, like they were seven. Um, so yeah, like managing that, helping our players see the big picture, stay true to the process, keep their confidence to win in big moments. That's definitely been a, a big part of, of my time here at SC. Um, because even, I mean, I guess not Texas, you know, some teams last year had amazing records, let's, sure. you know, but, but a lot of teams um, that are in the final eight are still taking more losses than we took at Williams for sure. So it's something that I think any, any coach at this level is having to manage well. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And with all of that said, you look at the fall the team had, the success they were able to have at the end of last season, all of the talent that is now on the roster. Is this team ready to take another step forward in 2022? They, I mean, they're very focused on that. We are very focused on that. And there's things we can control in that, and that's us. And there's things we can't control, which is other teams. Um, I think player development is going to be a big thing. Like, do we have, you know, we've got four players nationally ranked right now. That's awesome. Um, two in the top 20, a couple doubles teams in the top 30. That's awesome. But that's, that's only part of the lineup, you know, depth is huge. Like we talked about at the beginning. So, um, player development this spring is going to be big, how we come together, how we stay healthy, but you know, where we are today, we need to be better than that in, in March and April and May. And we're going to be. I love that. Well, I'll throw in one more fun one because I forgot to ask it. You're a competitor. I know that through and through. Coin flip out one point. Start the match. Winner chooses serving arrangement. Coach Swain's point playing, with the right? coaches. Yeah, head coach versus well, head coach. Okay, can we do a different sport? Like, can we do like cornhaul or something? Like come on, pickleball like, now. The yeah, or can I sub in my assistant? If we can sub in my Elizabeth Begley, I'm in. So there's actually though a national champion exception where if you won a championship, it doesn't matter how old you have to keep playing. And so, oh no, yeah, yeah because uh, you're telling okay. me you were uh, Stella. Ghost, go, like, okay, ghost, ghost doubles. Yeah, <laughs> I will do it. Cross court doubles point. <laughs> That's doubles. what I'm in for. <laughs> Uh, cross court, cross court, double point. If it's if it's not cross court, it's out. That's that's fair. Alleys, no alleys. Alleys are fine. Okay, that's that. Then at least we're yeah. You know what? I'm in. As long as we're getting the competition going right away, I think that's what it's all about. But yeah, there is absolutely zero singles happening. <laughs> well, the keys chip and charge. No one's making a pass. Yeah, like uh, there's the serving volley and there's a return and close, and, <laughs> yeah. and then it's just like anybody's guessed at what's going to happen. <laughs> 
Uh, I heard you say something earlier that like there's, this could happen during the five minute warm up with players. Yeah. Well, point's going to take 10 seconds. Yeah. So that's not going to work. I don't want warm ups back. I don't like warm ups. Okay, but Woodruff versus Tucker. Like, that's the matchup we need. It just, like, <laughs> fist fight. This is all I'm asking for. Um, you know, just for one point. No, and there's, again, there's a lot of good coaches out there. But, yes, I know, it's not going to happen. Coin flip. It's, or, like, rock, paper, scissors, something. Let's just get moving. Yeah. Um, all of that said, Coach Swain, immensely grateful that you took the time to chat today. Obviously, wishing you and your team safety, health, and success throughout the 2022 season. And, of course, Happy New Year to you as well. Happy New Year. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Take care.